so when I have conversations with customers and, and I'm having conversations about how organized they should be on their certain, their side from security, I can just kind of contrast by what I know how organized the other players are. They're not they're not taking a day off. They are they are building these panels. They are looking for this data and they will find it and they will expel it if they can't exfiltrate it. If they can't. Um, when we talk about secondary secondary ways, they, they set up ransomware. It's not just necessarily encryption. They will also exfiltrate your data, take the data out, and also um, show you that they do have the setup. You know, so they have ways of showing you this is the data we also have, and we will you know release this to exploit you, or release this to embarrass you, or release this in some way to show um, inner you know inside information or some some harm to your company if you don't play the ransom. So even if you are able to have viable backups and you do have a way to store, you still may not want that data. Well, today's topic, you might consider a cautionary tale, because today we're talking about ransomware with senior solution architect Drew Taylor. Now, in our conversation, we talk about, well, not only the organizations responsible for some of the high profile attacks in recent weeks, but also what these organizations are doing with your data and how you and your organization might best be prepared for when ransomware leaves your organization at a standstill. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. If... You live on the eastern half of the United States. Well, May was a challenging, challenging month for you if you wanted to do really one simple thing, and that was fill up your car with gasoline. And to talk about that and really why that happened and really kind of pick apart this entire uh, challenge of what we know what we know as ransomware. I've invited Dale Taylor, uh, solution architect here at Rackspace, and somebody who's been doing maybe a little too much research into into ransomware. So, uh, so Dale, welcome to the program. Thank you, thank you, sir. Very happy to be here. Hey, so let's uh, let's let's talk about that. You know, people couldn't get gas. What's the big deal? What uh, starting at a super high level. It all goes back to Colonial Pipeline. Yeah, little little, little little fuel pipeline that starts in Houston and heads well, pretty much all the way up the Eastern Seaboard. Correct. So, kind of all just starts from that. Um, a ransomware attack on that individual pipeline that um, set up a, a pretty good blockage into gasoline supply up the Eastern Seaboard. Um, that's pretty much what set off the alarms and the alerts that gas would be in short supply because they literally could not pump it up the Eastern Seaboard uh, due to the encryption of their their computer systems. Um, and that's at a very high level of what happened. Yeah. So, so, and ultimately if we're going to go and define what is ransomware, it's, you got some, you got some bad people who've come into some key systems in your organization. They've encrypted them and locked them up and said, show us the money. We will let you have access back to your system. Now it's somebody at, at my level. Have I, have I defined it right? Correct. No, I mean, that's exactly kind of what what we're talking about there. We're talking about specifically, it's a type of malware, but it's specifically different from other malwares and viruses, and that is purpose-driven. It's definitely there to um, encrypt files, to basically hold you for ransom, um, and to create Mm -hmm. several layers of 
ransom, if you will, in order to make sure that you do pay on your end and that they do the outcome that they they want ultimately. Yeah. So maybe maybe compare contrast, you know, standard malware or malware through the ages and how that then has evolved into what makes ransomware fundamentally different. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to date myself specifically, but when I first started, um, we talked a lot about um, when the insecurity we specifically talked about what we called script um, children. We call them script children or, or scripties. Um, and they would just be people who would go on the internet and get you know scripts and they would start these different things. And they would copy and paste malware. So if we kind of fast forward to today, um, malware is a little different in, in the fact that it's no longer people who are just kind of playing around. They really understand what they're doing. They know what type of malware. There's many, many variants. There are different classes and families of, of malware. But traditionally, it was used as just a way to cause kind of just chaos on the internet. You know, you wanted to do hacktivism or you wanted to you know get your name out there. You wanted to show how you could infiltrate these systems or you wanted to specifically make a message or something like that. Um, ransomware differs in the way that it's just much more business driven. It's a much more um, logical process. It's not necessarily for hacktivism or for um, cloud um, um, kind of superiority or so the superiority of your variant. It's really just about the money and about the revenue. Back end. Right. So truly really transforming then from, you know, how, how can I as an individual wreak havoc in somebody else's world because I'm so cool? Or can at least you know copy and paste some scripts together up into the point now that that you've got well individuals or what we talked about before organizations who are focused on one thing how can they make some money and doing it by you know holding your your most precious asset your your data and your systems uh, well quite literally at ransom so that you will pay the money um, so so maybe talk about that how does you know, there there are some professional organizations that are out there that are intended to be the the as a service to make this happen. How how does this come together, and what are what are they like? Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, when you speak about uh, ransomware in the past, or you're talking about malware in the past, we're talking about individuals or individual actors. They're thinking about specific actions that they want to take. But today, like I said, we're talking specific yeah. business models. So the actors in this place, in, in, in this space, and specifically to Colonial, are dark side is a, is a kind of conglomerate known as dark side. And there are a couple of conglomerates out there, Bad Book and uh, Re-Evil and a couple others that, that do the same kind of thing. But it's really a true um, ransomware as a service model in today's day and age. Um, it's not... Amazing. It, yeah, it's completely organized. Uh, the people who actually... Organized the attack on Colonial, for instance, were not directly dark side, but they were what they're called affiliates in the affiliate program. And so, um, not to get too affiliate <laughs> affiliate program, so they're to the level of not just being an organization, but you can buy in and be an affiliate you can of their organization. Buy in and be an affiliate, um, and the affiliates get many privileges that we can have discussions about as far as what they can do. But um, specifically, um, the affiliates are allowed access to these variants and to these ransomware, and they are allowed, they're uh, also, also allowed the ways to execute it. So this was launched specifically for an, from an affiliate, from their admin control panel, <laughs> and a ransomware as a service company uh, or conglomerate, DarkSide, and launched onto Colonial Pipeline. And one of the things I want to point out that's also very interesting is DarkSide is this doesn't take a long time. Darkside kind of came on the scenes in November 2020. So November 2020? November Six months ago. Yes. That's yes. seven months. Excuse me. Seven months ago. Correct. So these conglomerates can stand up pretty quickly and become pretty um, organized and fairly active very quickly, um, yeah. as you can see. 
uh, trying to think specifically more about the colonial pipeline. Um, one of the things. Well, well, hang on okay. before we before we even maybe go back into into that aspect of it. So, what we're what companies are dealing with as as anybody who's in business you know, is this very organized um, conglomerate. Now, you mentioned you know conglomerate. These these can be words that have. Uh, pretty loose definitions, and so, uh, but but what you mentioned, and and I don't want to, I don't want to let it slip past, is was launched from the dark side's control panel. Correct. In other words, discrete engineering for software applications whose sole purpose is to attack other organizations. One hundred percent, and they have built complete administrative panels, complete um, organized private cloud infrastructure that is dedicated to this specifically to attack infrastructure in the world. Um, the, the affiliates are given full admin access to their, their what they call the control panel, which is only accessible through the Tor network. And I don't want to get into how much what the Tor network is, sure. but I'll, it's basically a secure network that people use to access the dark net um, for the most part. Right. Um, so they are allowed to add. From there, they can you know, release hacks, they're able to point out targets, they're able to actually um, organize their payment. So they're actually, uh, and they're able to organize communications to their victims. So anonymous communications. It's a one-stop ransom shop. It is completely a one-stop ransom shop. Everything done there, including the money taken off the top from the conglomerate to make sure that they get their, their cut, but they stay pretty much out of it. The affiliate is fully in charge of the attack and they are just responsible for making sure that they utilize it in a, um, I guess you would say, moral and ethical way in, in that they don't attack specifically government, educational, or hospital facilities. So there is a moral code there, but it's pretty loose. <laughs> it's, a pretty, it's a pretty loose moral code. Now, I think it's also important, you know, I want to call out, we're not, we're not trying to teach the world how to become, how to you get into the ransomware business. But the goal of this conversation today is to help you understand the degree of sophistication, not just of super smart people, individuals in a basement in the far side of the world who decide to attack, but the degree of sophistication that's in place meant to go do harm. And they're using harm as a way to get money. And there's really no variable or variance or difference of somebody who is, you know, when we think of ransom in, in the quote unquote, old days where I'm going to go take somebody of high value and you give me money and I'll give you that person back. The story here is now I'm going to take data, which is very high value, and I'll take it away through the means of encryption. And then if you pay, I'll give it back. But as we talked about before, when we were we were getting ready for this, you know, they put some safeguards in place to make sure that you don't, you know, hey, we can go have a have a backup of my data. So if it gets encrypted, I can just go get my backup. It's not the only fail safe that they've got, is it? No, no, it's not. And one of the things I do want to point out, you're right, is that they are preparing in a very, very organized manner. And so when I have conversations with customers and, and I'm having conversations about how organized they should be on their, on their side from security, I can just kind of contrast by what I know how organized the other players are. They're not, they're not taking a day off. They are, they are building these panels. They are looking for this data and they will find it and they will exfil it if they can't exfiltrate it if they can't. Um, so, yeah, that is, I mean, it's, it's a very, very interesting thing to see what you're up against and, and to see how serious the actors in this space are. And when they set up these secondary, um, when we're talking about the secondary, secondary ways, they, they set up ransomware. It's not just necessarily encryption. They will also exfiltrate your data, take the data 
out and also um, show you that they do have the setup. You know, so they have ways of showing you this is the guy that we also have, and we will, you know, release yeah. this to exploit you, or release this to embarrass you, or release this in some way to show um, inner, you know, inside information or some some harm to your company if you don't play the ransom. So even if you are able to have viable backups and you do have a way to restore, you still may not want that data in the metaverse, if you will. Right. So let's talk about strategies because you know, we just sort of gave a strategy and that was, you know, make sure you've got a good backup that's not in any way physically attached to the network where your stuff is so that you have a way to go get your data. But what are some of the other strategies that that we can we can encourage folks to to pursue? Well, there are there are quite a few strategies when it comes to ransomware to pursue. Um, one definitely is making sure you have timely um usual usable backups that are all completely offline and separate. Um, that's just going to make sure that you can recover some, some data. And it also allows you to negotiate whenever you enter the negotiation period, things that you can recover yourself that you may not need the keys for. And, and there's a lot of other nuance there. Um, the other things we need to make sure that we're looking for is we need to build a really good security plan around looking for um, indicators of attack. And that is really a little bit more difficult than that it sounds at first, if you will. Um, um, indicators attack are making sure that we have a the ability to not only see everything in our infrastructure, but to be able to monitor you know a lot of different things. And then we're we also are taking that activity and contextualizing it without getting too too. I don't want to get too uh, technical about the differences, but we traditionally look for indicators of compromise, and indicators of compromise right. are kind of when you're looking for. Somebody, the data has been exfiltrated, or we, we noticed that someone's been in our files. It, those are things we've noticed that you've already been there. Indicators of attack are pre that. And so you need to build a, a security plan that involves around looking for contextualizing things that are happening within your application stack and inside your infrastructure so that you can really take those things and say, if I see A, I can match it with B, and this makes sense. This is, this is a string that makes sense. But if I see activity A, such as you know exfiltration of data to Usually, it doesn't make sense. Then I need to be able to contextualize why that's happening. It's a little bit to take in, um, but it's really, really important to understand the nuances between looking for those things because ransomware often doesn't work in traditional patterns. Um, it's often fileless, and I can get to a lot of the technical details of how around how fileless ransomware works. But there are a lot of traditional ways that they can uh, avoid detection through tradition, traditional security tools. So you really have to have contextual security in place and you need to have more than just, so it's not just a tool. You need to have your tools, your processes, your procedures, and your people in place. Those are the things that you really have to make sure that are all in tune to make sure that you can effectively um, combat ransomware in 2021. It really speaks to the changing threat landscape of, you know, if we were to dial back, we'll go old days. Let's go back. Let's go back 10 years, only 10 years. And in 10 years ago, it was still sort of all right to just have a good, strong wall to protect that perimeter. And a protected perimeter, you know, you add in some, let's do some filtering for malware. Let's not let people do dumb things. Uh, but with, with that in place, you're sort of, you're sort of okay. But in this world where so much of our, you know, the, the perimeter is gone. So for those companies that haven't adopted maybe some of those new strategies like a zero trust strategy and, and things that go with that uh, or some of the new tooling. Now you rightly said it's people, it's process and it's technology. Okay. And I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you, what's the weakest link in people, process and technology? People. <laughs> it's, you, it's, it's you and I, Dale. It's you and I. Uh, it's the weakest link. We are the weakest link. Yeah. 
I know you, you, it was sounded too easy to answer. Um, and it's always the weakest link and it's the hardest to train and it's the hardest to prepare for. And that's why when we were preparing for this and I didn't expect you to say this and I said, well, what, what do people need to do? And the first thing you said was be prepared to pay. Be prepared to pay. That is a hundred percent the truth. Um, it's unfortunately, but that's, that is this, that is where we're at today. Um, in some cases, these variants are so new and so hard to detect that once they've been in there, depending on how long they've been in there for the cyber kill chain, you need to be prepared to have a payout as an option. It needs to be a viable yeah. option um, is to restore services uh, just because you may not have two, three, four weeks to negotiate and to troubleshoot this thing. You need to get your services back online. So. Well, and it's and like you said before, it's not just that. It's And I think even in large part, I mean, think of the data that they could be taking, corporate secrets, um, uh, insider information that would that would be interesting to stock traders, uh, as another example. Now, this is the kind of stuff that is extraordinarily timely. In other words, you don't have three or four weeks to play uh, and you need to be prepared. Now, let me ask you a question. In the, in the old days, again, and you would hear uh, lots of metrics that when somebody realized they were hacked, they were about a year and a half late because the, the threat actors, the bad actors have been in there for that long. You know, they found the one way in, they moved horizontally, and they collected intel, they collected data, they did all the things. Has that changed uh, or is that still a somewhat viable kind of number when we think about a year and a half? To be honest, that hasn't really changed that much. You would think that that number would have changed a lot in the last 10 years. But honestly, um, what we call XDR technology, the, the endpoint detection, detection and response hasn't really, as far as customers, been adapted at the level we'd like to have seen it by this point. And so yeah. this leaves a lot of gaps in detection. And so it leaves a lot of a surface area for these continued attacks. So right. one of the outcomes from that is that you're dealing with very sophisticated attackers now who have a lot of information. They're not just, they don't, they've not, they haven't been in your systems two days. They don't, they, you know, they, they know exactly what they're attacking. They know exactly who they are. They know most likely what type of cyber insurance you carry. They know what type of business you're in and they understand the limits on a lot of the things, including that all goes into negotiation price for the ransom. So, so when they send that number over, when the screens go blank, uh, the, they've made a very educated um, request on how much they think they can get out of that organization and how much pain they can inflict. Correct. And oftentimes they've even looked at your stock price. And they've looked at the news, seeing what things are going to be launched. And so they'll, you know, they'll respond when we know you're launching this. We know that your COVID hasn't affected your price, your stock price this much because you only lost this much stock. And we know that you took out cyber insurance a year ago for this much, $6 million, whatever. So these yeah. things are all things that they find during that year and a half period of moving around, looking around, kind of the reconnaissance experience where you're really kind of trying to, you know, identify a hard, tar- uh, high value target that you really want to take. Over. Yeah. Well, let's go back. Let's go back to where we started and that's with colonial. Let's, and let's, let's start to unpack that story just a little bit more. Maybe tell more specifically what was going on there. Who, who came in, who did the bad things and what exactly did they, did they attack? So they specifically, uh, attacked, uh, the cybersecurity systems that are in control of kind of the resilience and the redundancy of the overall criminal pipeline. And I want to get into the infrastructure of the LA app because they haven't really released the full infrastructure picture, but I'll roll you back to 2013. In 2013, the U.S. government came in and we did a uh, audit of the colonial pipeline and they passed that audit and we're down to now fully resilient and fully redundant security systems and they were ready to go. And yeah. hmm, 
wrote forward and they are not ready for what is pretty much a standard cybersecurity attack in 2022. So um, they um, basically, they exfiltrated a lot of personal data, a lot of personal data, a lot of PII to the customers, a lot of PII to the uh, to Colonial. They locked out the line, locked them out of their data systems. They encrypted all of their, as much of their critical data as they could. And they basically set a ransom at the low enough rate of 75 Bitcoins or $4.4 million at the time that it was, they were burning that up almost on a daily rate. (laughs) In losses? In losses, yeah, for the the gas, for the losses. So they knew that this was a ransom that was going to be paid pretty quickly. Unfortunately for them, um, the Colonial Pipeline was on the fringe of what morality they shouldn't attack, meaning it was almost a a or a corporate government entity. So there was retaliation and this was a little, this was a little bit higher profile than I think that they wanted it to get. So um, there has been some retaliation and and their system shut down and some claims that that they were offline. But um, in reality, I, this, they're very difficult to take offline. Most of their systems exist in places where we don't have any kind of arms and legs, Russia and other places. And their payment systems are completely anonymous through Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. So they can just literally send up another wallet and start getting paid within hours. And they did. Um, there's already, hmm. since they were shut down, there's already a Toshiba hack that has happened since that Colonial Pipeline hack. And it is also related to Darkside, the same group that was allegedly. Really? Yeah. Yes. And it's pretty similar. Um, they exfiltrated 740 gigabits from Toshiba, including... <sighs> Passport information from the C-level executives to PII about individual employees to their NAND flash technology. Exfiltrated. Uh, yeah. By the core of who they are, core of their leadership, everything. And, you know, I would think the hard part would be, you know, you, you write that check, you, you send that Bitcoin to where it needs to go. And they still have your data. Absolutely. Now you've got to trust the bad guy that they're not going to, you know, still go run off and do bad things with your data and sell it to the highest bidder on the dark web. 100%. And so that's why it is also advisable, regardless of what your strategy is post um, ransomware, is to always work with a cyber insurer or a cyber, um, like a Mm -hmm. cyber corrective firm, someone who can help you to recover from this completely because there's more than just what they've done. There's also, the, they're going to leave their hooks in. They're not going to take those hooks out. You're going to have to figure out how they got in. You've got to figure out if they're running file lists, if they're running something like Duke or something like that through a domain controller, it's going to continue to proliferate. There are so many things that you need to make sure that you are, that you need to make sure your systems are clean and that you need to make sure that you can protect yourself against the further release of that data. So you need, yeah. there's lots of, and there are lots of uh, firms out there that, that do this, and I'm not going to speak on you know individuals, but there are lots of firms out there that, that that do this just specifically on cyber on just ransomware recovery. That's their entire model. We've built entire companies around just ransomware recovery. It's petrifying, really, when you think about it. You know, when I when uh, um, I'd gotten notified, uh, of course, we all you know see our credit reports and whatnot, and I get notification every now and again. In fact, I, I use. Um, Microsoft Edge is the browser on my Windows desktop, and it's even got connections into uh, some interesting databases because I'll get a note going, hey, a couple of your passwords that you use and have stored here are actually showing up in the dark web. You may want to, here's where they are and here's what you want to go go and change. So a lot of that's getting pulled forward. I just sort of assume that everything that, that is known for me or, or that I know about myself, everybody else in the dark web kind of knows about me as well. 
um, which is a sad state to be in. And there are all sorts of strategies for individuals that, uh, but, you know, uh, I, I, when you look at, you know, you or myself, there's a reason they're not attacking us. And there's a reason they're going for corporations. They can certainly write a bigger check, which um, you sort of make sense. But let's go back to strategies for uh, for how to prepare. Now, one thing you mentioned is go get cyber uh, insurance, cyber attack insurance. The other piece, and you mentioned this yesterday, or we talked about it earlier, be prepared to pay. How do you, you know, now we're talking about, hey, um, multi-billion dollar organization, um, you need to go get a, you know, a, a Bitcoin wallet or or whatnot and start to think, you know, when when did we think large organizations are going to start to trade in this stuff or be prepared? It's It's strange. I don't think we ever thought that they were going to ever be prepared to trade this, but this it's completely a viable strategy. And, and today, when you're dealing with the major ransomware attack, you need to have twofold um, approach. You need to have the, the approach where you are planning to fight this thing and to scrub it out and to figure out what's going on and exfiltrate work with your insurers right. or whoever to, to figure out exactly what's happened. But you also need to have that secondary means where you are having communications with your attackers. You are keeping those communication channels open, you're keeping them respectful, and you are preparing in some manner to pay. So... You need to create a corporate strategy to see, you know, whether or not, as, as Colonial Pipeline did, it's viable to pay. And they did come up with it as much more viable to pay. And so they, they, they did pay. Um, it's unfortunate. And you, you like to see, you know, these things not be resolved in that manner. Um, but technology yeah. is getting there. We are working very, 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 you know, there is there's a lot on the horizon to look forward to. Um, Bitcoin analytics are one where we are very, very getting a lot better at tracking Bitcoin payments all the way down. They are immutable, so you can't really erase them from the blockchain letter, ledger. And I don't want to get into, again, too much technicality about how Bitcoin <laughs> works, but they are immutable transactions. So we can track where the money's going. We can follow it, even though they use a lot of methods to make it very, very difficult to follow. Um, but we just can't do anything about it once it gets to their end point because they're typically in some end point where it's a country that doesn't allow extradition and, you know, they can do it want to and they can buy you know gift cards from there so but there is a lot on the there's a lot on the horizon with bitcoin analytics and with ai contextualization of security and your cages of attack so being able to go back and tie these things to say for instance in a fileless malware malware attack and a fileless ransomware attack that's something that's running completely in memory it's not going to have like a single line of code it's not going to be really? so it's nothing that's going to be detectable by your standard detection engines It'll take over what is available in the system. They call it kind of living off the land is how they kind of put it. So it'll take over PowerShell. If PowerShell is available, it'll take over whatever secure shells is available. It'll actually use ports and protocols that are open to it. So it's actually very, very smart. So you have to be able to look at not, you can't detect that it's there because it lives, it lives fileless in the memory. You need to yeah. detect what it's doing. And so that's what the indicators mm. attack for. Where you can, when you kind of pop, peel back, okay, there's an action that's happening. It's happening out of RAM. What's going on here? And there is, there's, there is good AI in security space that is using this, getting, becoming very contextual with that information and allowing us to see the indicators attack and cut down on the noise because IOAs are not like IOCs. And the fact that IOCs are very specific and an indicator of compromise looks like an indicator of compromise, an indicator of attack looks like business as usual. So you need to have that context and able to really to really be able to combat um, ransomware in 2021. And we are getting there. Um, they are they are very careful about the, the the targets that they select. They select targets that are most likely not going to have been there yet. You know, smaller companies that are a little more agile, that stay on top of things that are don't they don't have such a big target area, but a slow monolithic oil company, uh, a big monolithic tech company, MSPs are huge targets. 
Uh, believe it or really? not, we yes. haven't had a knock on wood, a huge MSP ransomware breach yet. But um, it's it's a matter of with when when if not when for MSPs that are not prepared for. Uh, Right. I think a really, I think a really interesting thing to point out too, like in, to your point that you're making right there. And that is, you know, these huge monolithic fill in the blank. These are companies that tend to be not very tech forward. So, you know, I can hear, I can almost hear some listeners going, Hey, but we're being really careful about not going to the cloud. These aren't cloud companies. These are companies with an ISP. Correct. These are companies with an ISP. These are companies with dedicated hardware. They're running, you know, these are companies that are running in. To put it fair, yesterday's technology stacks, you know, we're running in standard data stacks that aren't maybe that cloud based, but are more data center centric and they're still being compromised. Um, you, these, I, I like to point out to customers quite often that a lot of the customers, a lot of the, the large hacks, a lot of the large exfiltrations you see are against teams that have huge security teams that have some tooling in place. It's just not necessarily the right tooling in the right places, if, if you will. It always comes down to that. You know, after inspection, it's, oh, we had a lot of tooling, but it was not necessarily the right tooling and it wasn't necessarily looking at the right places. So, right. Now we know it's people, process, and it's technology, but let's talk technology just for a second because I think we just put the fear of God into a whole bunch of people. Um, so let's talk about when you talk to a customer and you are talking about security solutions to help be prepared. My son just got his Eagle Scout. We think about being prepared. What, what's that technology look like? What do you recommend? So if we want to be the most prepared, it all so I like to meet the customer where they are or in their security journey because security, much like any other technological trip, is you know the least you know technological to the most edge bleeding, cutting edge stuff. And so you don't necessarily want to put a customer on the most bleeding edge, but you want to put them on the idea of the mindset around what the bleeding edge is going for. And right now, zero trust is really where everybody's mindset's at, and that is providing a kind of a 360 context around your applications. It's no longer looking at them from the standpoint of, oh, the bad guys are coming from the external, the good guys are coming internal, or the good guys are coming parallel, or even kind of watching those parallel. It's really no one is is trusted authorized. No one is a trusted authorized user. Everyone has to prove everything they want to do to that application stack, and everyone needs to prove everything they do through the approval processes that we have set in place. And those approval processes set in place will be you know, security centers that are looking for those indicators of attack, security centers that are looking yeah. for those, that, that adverse um, activity. And so that's, that's, that's really where I need, uh, I tell customers we need to start looking at zero trust. Um, specifically, uh, we have started looking at zero trust quite a few years ago, and we've been implementing it, you know, in a lot of different ways for the applications that we use internally, and we are utilizing that for customers as well, forward-facing. So um, zero trust is really big on the, as far as not just your zero trust from the application standpoint, but just zero trust from your network access standpoint as well. So um, SD-WAN being one of those things we, we talk about quite a bit, um, not to be too um, not to be too technical, but making sure everything's software defined that you can see everything as a whole, as a holistic right. as, a, as a holistic um, enterprise, and that you treat everything kind of equally with the equal with the with the least amount of trust possible, if you will. Right. I had to uh, I had to fill out a form this morning for our employer uh, for something that I needed, 
And, uh, and it said, well, you can find this on this internal system, one of our HR systems. And so uh, in order to get there, I had to VPN in. And so in goes my, my RSA code and I'm VPNed in. And then I, I go to the page where I want to be and I click the link to go and, and here it is, enter the pin again. And I wanted to say, but I just entered the, oh, zero trust is a good thing. Happily type your, your thing again. Just because you make it past the front door doesn't mean you're allowed in every single room. And we should always, always um, uh, t- uh, not get too worked up when we've got to enter that information multiple times. Correct. It's only protecting us. Exactly. And I know, and I know that everybody has experiences, but in the military, we have this thing we used to call a man trap. And I know it's kind of off topic, but it would be kind of the same deal. You'd stand in front of a door and give your, your ID to a security guard and they go, okay. And they let you in and then they shut the door behind you and there's another door in front of you. And you have to give your security <laughs> guard to the next guy. And it's like, why is this here? And they call it a man trap to make sure that you know, that you are who you say you are. We need to create these kind of man traps for um, for people as they enter your infrastructure. They need to reauthorize. What are you doing exactly? Who are you? You know, exactly. And, yep. and security may not always be the most um, uh, convenient, but we are making it more convenient, more seamless, trying to cut down as many problems as we can about while still maintaining that overall kind of now, just because somebody puts zero trust methodology in place and has it pervasive throughout the organization, it doesn't mean you still don't get hacked. No. But what it means is that blast radius, hopefully, is minimized. Yeah, you can only shrink. You can only shrink your your surface area as small as you can. You want to you want to minimize the amount of damage they can do. Micro segmentation is good for that. There are a lot of different things that are good for that. You don't allow east west traffic. You educate your users. That's super important because a lot of the fileless malware and ransomware that is being put out there is done through macros in applications and in, in like word documents and things like that 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 execute this macro in RAM and therefore now you've got malicious code running in RAM. Um, so yeah. user education is huge, <laughs> um, but you know it's it's really about having that overall holistic approach, and then also making sure you shrink that surface area as small as possible. So that when the boom does go off, if it does, they don't have access to as much as is is possible, and that you know you don't have these interconnected systems that are just you know, spilling the beans everywhere, if you will. Um, we yeah. used to call it the soft gooey center, if you will. <laughs> Once you get through the outside of the candy shell, you're just inside, and you can, everybody yeah. trusts everybody. You can move to every system. Like that, that those days are gone. They're gone. Yeah, we can't. They have will them. never come back. No. Now no. the heuristics around it make it easier, but um, but they're gone. Yeah, those days are gone. We we're going to have to deal with a little bit more um, security for a while until we can, you know, because we're always in this arms race. It's a constant arms race yeah. against the other players. So we have to say, percent. Well, on that light note, why don't we, uh, this has been a fascinating conversation, Dale. We're going to have to have you back uh, to continue to, to dig into this. And we'll use other examples other than uh, just talking about uh, Colonial. It's just one of the most high profile recent things that we've seen. And I would encourage everyone, just awareness is such a key thing. And, you know, we only see the big high profile ones, but, you know, head to news.google or news.bing and type in ransomware and stay educated. It is alive and well, unfortunately, and uh, be prepared. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. Be prepared and be prepared to pay. That sounds antithetical, but it's great advice when it comes to ransomware. 
Now we're thinking about a new series here at Rackspace Solve called Deconstructing the Hack where we'll assemble a panel of experts after a notable hack to talk about, well, what happened, who did it, the results, what the target could have done better, but more importantly, what you and I can learn from it. If this interests you, I'd like to know. Send me a note at solve at rackspace.com. Now, I've mentioned for a few weeks now that we have the return of the Solve Conference coming up. This is a two-day event on August 3rd and 4th with content all focused on the tech that you can use today to help solve problems and capitalize on opportunities, or better yet, both. To register, just head over to rackspace.com solve slash conference to sign up for this free event. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Cloud Talk. Another huge thank you to Dell Technologies for their continued sponsorship. If you've enjoyed these episodes, consider sharing Cloud Talk with a friend or perhaps even giving us one of those five-star reviews, you know, right there in the podcast app, the one you're using right now. What could be simpler? Until next week, I'm Jeff DeVerter for Cloud Talk.